She was a tiny nation wedged between two huge and ambitious empires that were constantly vying for superiority. There were a few times in her 700-year history when she was not at war. Uh, Sometimes those wars were devastating. For much of her existence, she lived under the sovereignty of some other nation, unable or sometimes unwilling to establish her own existence as God's people in the world. That reading was from the book of Isaiah. And at the time of Isaiah, Judah was a vassal state of Assyria, great empire to the north. During Isaiah's lifetime, the Assyrians would sweep down and totally annihilate the northern kingdom of Israel. And they were threatened to do the same to Judah. Judah had weak leaders who saw it more politically expedient to appease the empire than to be faithful to God. And yet, there were those like Isaiah who could see things differently, who could hope for a time when Israel would be faithful and would allow God to be God. Israel's people were weary of war and threat, weary of the divisions that had torn their country apart since the time of David's son, King Solomon. They were weary of the instability of a world in which power and oppression were the controlling factors in the life of their nation. Some, like Isaiah, knew that God's vision of the world was different. They knew that God, Yahweh, the Lord, the one whom they served, was the same God who has heard the cries of his people uh, to be set free. Who had intervened in the life of another empire, the empire of Egypt, and had delivered his people. They knew that because their God was the God, he would not forever tolerate oppression in his world. So they hoped, and so they dreamed, and so they prayed. They dreamed of a time when God would enter into the world and bring an end to war and suffering. They dreamed of a time when he would establish his reign on the earth and return all creation to what it was intended to be. They dreamed of a time when their divisions in their land would be healed. And they could once again be a whole people under God's rule. Isaiah prophesied of that day when the Lord will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. When swords will be beaten into plowshares and spears made into pruning hooks. He didn't see it come. He hoped for it though and he prayed for it. Those who heard his words didn't see it come. They longed for it and they waited for it. And together, Isaiah and those who heard his message resolved to walk together in the waiting and in the longing and in the hoping and in the praying. Resolved to walk together in the light of the Lord. Walk in the light of the Lord. And to reflect upon that phrase this morning. It's an invitation. 
It's an invitation to live life in response to who God is. It's an invitation to live life in response to what God has done. And it's an invitation to live life in obedience to what God commands. Walk in the light of the Lord. Walk in response to who God is. Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you know, it's an astonishing claim. We who come to church week by week, we are are so familiar with these words, but they can easily be robbed of their power. What a claim. What an astonishing statement to make. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Soon we'll be retelling the Christmas story. And again, it's a story which for us in church is familiar and perhaps we are overly familiar with it. Into the humblest of circumstances, Jesus is born. His mother is an ordinary young girl called Mary. His birthplace is a stable, a barn in a small, obscure town called Bethlehem. Yet his birth is announced by angels. They sing to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest, a saviour has been born. The babe will grow up, become an adult, and begin to make astonishing claims. Jesus claims to be the bread of heaven, the one who can satisfy our deepest hunger. He claims to offer living water that alone can quench the thirst within us. Jesus takes upon himself the authority to forgive our sins, offers freely God's grace and mercy. Jesus claims to be the way and the truth and the life. He claims to be the resurrection. Jesus says that he and he alone is the means of escaping God's judgment. He and he alone is the only path to eternal life. Jesus claims for himself all authority in heaven and on earth. And Jesus promises that he will return to judge the earth. What do you make of such radical claims? Do you walk? Do you live? In the light of them? Do they change how you live your life? Do they change the decisions that you make? Do they shape the priorities that you have? Imagine for a moment a relative you hardly know dies. They leave you an inheritance you're not expecting. It comes like a bolt from the blue. £5,000, £25,000. What do you do with it? How do you decide what you will do with it? Is it immediately put towards a new car? The holiday of your dreams? Or do you stop? Do you pause? 
Do you think, what does it mean for me to have this gift and walk in the light of the Lord? Could support the salary of a Christian worker. Working in a, a difficult place where few others will go. Can make a huge difference to a Christian mission agency or mission society, taking the gospel to places where it would otherwise not be heard. Do you walk in the light of the Lord in these decisions? There are some who would ignore the claims of Jesus altogether. There are those who, while being very respectful of Jesus, don't take his astonishing claims seriously. The religion of Islam teaches that Jesus was a prophet and a teacher, but no more. The Hindu faith teaches that Jesus is a way to God, yes, but just one way among many. There are many in our own day who want to admire Jesus, but admire him from a distance. Don't want him to disturb their lives too much. But Jesus won't let us get away with that. Soon you'll be writing your uh, Christmas cards. You might be thinking of a verse to put inside. Emmanuel, God with us. To us a child is born, to us a saviour is given. I expect you won't be considering Matthew 12 verse 30. Hear these words of Jesus. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not, scat- does not gather with me scatters. Sobering words. We're invited to walk in the light of the Lord, to live in the light of who Jesus is. We're invited to, to walk in the light of the Lord, to live in response to what God has done. This is love, writes the Apostle John to the church he is responsible for in his uh, first letter. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The symbol of the Christian faith is the cross. It's a symbol of the love of God shown forth in the life of his son, Jesus Christ. It's a symbol of our faith, the way we are to live, the way we are to work, the way we are to uh, uh, interact with others. Jesus' life was marked by the cross, and our life too is to be marked by the cross. Take up your cross, says Jesus, and follow me. The lives of Christians, the life of you and me and all who claim to be followers of Jesus should be shaped by this cross-shaped love. He humbled himself for us upon a cross. So how can we be proud? He gave up everything for us on a cross. So how can we not be generous? He served us. On a cross. So, how can we lord it over others? Walk in the light of the Lord. Walk in the light 
of the cross. An Archbishop of Paris once told a story of three young men who uh, visited his cathedral in Notre Dame. On a day, one of the young men entered the confessional booth and made a, a false confession to the priest. The priest, aware that the young man was deceiving him and having a joke at his expense with his friends, uh, gave the man a penance. Stand in front of the crucifix of this church. Look the crucified Jesus in his eyes and say this three times. All this you did for me and I don't give a damn. The young man and his friends laughed as they entered the sanctuary. They walked to the front of the church. They stood before the crucified Christ upon the cross. The young man spoke. All this you did for me and I don't give a damn. All this you did for me and I don't give a damn. All this you did for me and I... Third time, he couldn't say the words. He returned to the confessional booth and made a full confession before the priest. That moment changed his life. He went on himself to become a priest... And eventually, he became the Archbishop of Paris. In telling the story of the three young men who entered the Cathedral of Notre Dame, the Archbishop was telling his own story. Walk in the light of the Lord is an invitation to walk in the light of what God has done for us in Christ upon the cross. Thirdly and finally, it's an invitation to live life in obedience to Christ's commands. If you love me, says Jesus, you will obey my commands. Do you not know that you are not your own, writes St. Paul, but you are bought at a price? At the end of Matthew's Gospel, we read that we read, Uh, of Jesus' final words to his disciples. He says this to them. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Go and make disciples. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Another way of saying walk in the light of the Lord might be to say live a life as a disciple of Jesus. Walk in obedience to Jesus. His words in scripture, his will revealed by his Holy Spirit. As we enter a new uh, church season, a new church year, the year of Advent, um, As a diocese, as a family of churches, we will have a renewed focus upon discipleship, upon walking in the light of the Lord, upon living lives in the light of who God is and what he has done and what he commands. In your leaflets this morning, you'll receive one of these. It's going out to all of uh, our family of churches in the Diocese of Southall and Nottingham. 
as a church, we're going to have a renewed uh, focus, a renewed vision upon discipleship. The task of spreading the good news of Jesus that others might become disciples. The task of living as faithful Christians, as uh, people who are shaped by our faith in Christ. The task of helping young people grow up as faithful disciples themselves. These are not just mere uh, hopes and dreams or aspirations. But there's a a focus to it there, and that's in the the centre of the leaflet. And over the coming months and years, we'll be reflecting upon this as a diocese and as a church and as a PCC. What does it mean for us to welcome new disciples into the fellowship of the church? What does it mean for us to be a resource church that will give itself away? What does it mean for us to commission younger leaders? What does it mean for us to begin a new worshipping community somewhere? What does it mean for us to walk in the light of the Lord as a church family? I'm going to lead us in prayer. As I pray, I invite you just uh, just to read the prayer on the back page of this uh, leaflet. Just read it quietly. I'll say the words and you pray along in silence in your heart. Loving Lord, take us from where we are to be where you want us to be. Or teach us what it means to walk in the light of the Lord. Make us not merely guardians of a heritage, but living signs of your coming kingdom. Fill us with that faith, hope and love which embody the gospel. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, make us one. That the world may believe that your name may be enthroned in our nation, that your church may more effectively be your witnesses. Lord, we commit ourselves to mission, love and service, in your name and for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. And stand to sing again. This time we believe in God the Father.